In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Impossible possibilities. Impossible possibilities. This morning's lesson is a staple of the Advent Christmas season. God dispatches the angel Gabriel to deliver miraculous news to Mary. She is with child. The Messiah, the anointed one, the coming redeemers that the prophets predicted to many generations is now growing inside of her womb. Eight centuries prior, it was the prophet Isaiah who declared for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace this my friends is a miracle and by the second century, the developing Christian church began to emphasize another remarkable feature of this story. And that is the virgin birth. For according to both Matthew and Luke, Mary and her fiance Joseph never rounded third base. The Holy Spirit conceived this baby. Jesus then was duly constituted, both human and divine. God is his father and Mary his mother. Indeed, this is a miracle. But my friends, I want to point out another miracle in the text this morning. Not that the angel Gabriel showed up and told her that she was with child. Not the fact that she had never been with a man. And so, therefore, this is a virgin birth. But there's another miracle in this text. A, many, a miracle that many of us overlook as irrelevant. A miracle that many of us take for granted and a miracle that generations before us have disenchanted due to familiarity and even quotidian contempt. I'm referring to where the angel Gabriel delivered this message. For the Bible says God dispatched the angel to a city in Galilee known as Nazareth. Nazareth. 
Most of us have become immune to the theological and political implications of the name. Nazareth. We identify the location with the cultural popularity and power of Jesus, but Nazareth was anything but a desirable zip code. Nazareth was an area of entrenched poverty in the ancient world. Nazareth was an area of Palestinian disrepute. Nazarites were laborers on the bottom rung of principally a two-rung ladder. For the elites in Jerusalem recognized Nazarites by their inferior Aramaic. The upper echelons of society maligned Nazarites, Nazarites for their presumed lax morality. And people who came from Nazareth would have been considered uncouth and uncultured by those of us who tend to wear our affectations proudly and who like to flaunt our self-importance. Nazareth. Roman authorities at the time considered young people from this region as hotheads and thugs. Roman officials often labeled the area as a hotbed of bandits. That's a term that was used for political insurgents that those in power often labeled as terrorists. This is why whenever young people from Nazareth left the city, the agents of empire marked their bodies as dangerous and deviant. The people of Nazareth, they were not people with problems, a privilege that's afforded to the well-placed among us. But in the words of one of my former professors, the people of Nazareth were considered a problem people, a slur reserved for those who we wish to control and contain. This is why we ought to even regard the label Jesus of Nazareth as a politically loaded appellation. It's akin to saying, Jim the redneck, James from the ghetto, or Jane from the backwoods. Recall with me the first chapter of John's Gospel. It's here that Philip says to Nathaniel, we found him who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote of, Jesus of Nazareth. And how did Nathaniel respond? Nathaniel asked the most insulting and condescending question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, recall when Jesus is on a revival tour of Galilee and he returns to his hometown. Even the residents of Nazareth were caught in the quicksand of their own low self-conception. Despite Jesus' intellectual acumen, his fellow Nazarenes mocked him. Isn't that the carpenter's son? Wasn't he born of Mary? That can't be the son of God. We know his family. 
James, Simon, and Judas, those are his brothers and his sisters. They all went to school with us. As a matter of fact, you ain't heard this from me, but I heard Joseph ain't even that boy's real father. She was just many, one of many of the young girls defied by a Roman soldier. Joseph just married her to cover it up. But despite the social connotations of the community, and despite the social vices associated with the village, God chose this place. God picked this peasant girl. This, my friends, is a miracle. And from this miracle, you and I might learn something this morning about the attributes of God. For when God decided to step through the porthole from eternity into time, there were so many prestigious places that God could have selected in the ancient world. Oh, God could have selected Jerusalem then the capital city of Israel, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth with its abundant water supply and centrality of location. Oh, it could have picked Jerusalem because of its prominence. But look at God. God selected a peasant village off the beaten path. God God could have selected the city of Rome whose very name signified power in the ancient world. God could have selected the seat of empire, but no, what does God do? God selects an unwed teen mother from the backside of town to transform the spiritual composition of the planet. And God could have even chosen Egypt, the great nation, the cradle of all civilization in North Africa. But rather than floating down the mighty Nile River, God opted to walk through the impoverished streets of Nazareth in the person of an itinerant Palestinian, an itinerant Palestinian Jew of artisan rank. Oh, I can imagine the look of anxiety on young Mary's face. Can you hear her trembling and her fearful voice to Gabriel? This can't be true. What you're telling me is impossible. Who's going to believe that I'm pregnant by God? Joseph's family could charge me under Mosaic law and have me stoned to death. And if this isn't enough, who's going to believe that the Messiah comes from me? from this family, from this village. This is impossible. But look how the angel comforts her. He says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And I'm here to say this morning that that indeed is good news for all of us here today. For many of us, like Mary, we're pregnant with possibility. For one reason or another, we unfortunately might just be aborting a more productive future with defeatist language of the impossible. 
For some of us, it might be a false sense of insecurity. Some of us, unfortunately, think too low of ourselves. I can never achieve that. For some of us, it might be a false sense of security. We think too highly of ourselves. I would never do that. And as a result, whether we're thinking too low of ourselves or too high of ourselves, we may be making peace with mediocrity and striking a debilitating deal with the status quo, all in the name of what we consider impossible. But with God, with God, but more specifically with hope, faith, and with love, the seemingly impossible is always a possibility. Some of us sitting here today, our lives are testaments to this fact. What good was supposed to come out of your hometown? What good was supposed to come from your community? Now I get it, I get it, I, I feel the pressure. I feel the pressure, I know the pressure that some of you are sitting up under today, you don't want to admit that. We come to Harvard and we feel the need to pretend that we came out of the womb quoting Pythagorean theorem. God dispatched an angel to our mother and declared, the child you carry in your womb will be a Fortune 500 CEO and then a senator. But there are others of us who may be first generation in the family to attend college, the first to leave home, to leave the state, the first to purchase your own home, the first to experience events and meet people that your parents would never fathom. This is why we ought to thank God for loving communities that supported us, cared for us, nurtured us, for that in itself is a miracle, for these are the people that God used to help us reach goals that those very people may not have been able to imagine for themselves. They made the impossible possible for us. And it's for this reason, like Mary, that we have a charge this morning. Let's celebrate the coming of Christ by striving toward the impossible. Let's leave here attempting the unthinkable, imagining the inconceivable, accomplishing the infeasible, traversing the impassable, opening up the inaccessible, and overcoming the insurmountable. For we serve a God that can show up in the most unlikely of places, will use the most unlikely of people and transform the most improbable of conditions. It's just a matter of who we are willing to believe. And if we believe it, are we willing to make it so? Let the church say, Amen.